Hey there, Rev Divers. It is so great to be with you again. I am so excited to introduce you to Charles Gelman, who is the CEO, co-founder, and most importantly, um, chief patient advocate of HIDO. Um, Charles, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to talk to your Rev Diver Nation. Yes, yes, yes. They're they're gonna really enjoy this discussion. You know, you and Heido are doing really cool things in um, AI, and I'd love for you to kind of share with us. You know, all the the, the great technology and and uh, uh, maybe give us an overview of what Heido is and who you serve. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so um, I'm going to give your audience a listening of what the future beholds. Ooh. And what we've invented here at Heido is an AI-assisted robotic device that's going to alter the future of medicine in the comfort of the home. Come on now. Okay. Wow. All right. Well, <laughs> I would love to, to, to learn more about that. Um, I, I think, you know, when, when we're thinking about where healthcare was, only, gosh, two years ago, <laughs> compared to where it is today, um, there have been so many advances and there continue to be so many advances. Uh, and those advances are necessary because our patient population is changing, their needs are changing, their literacy is changing, their expectations are increasing. Uh, and, you know, one of the, the, the ways that we support our patients is um, you know, making access to them um, available in so many different areas, right? And one of the ways that we can access our patients and um, keep tabs on them is through remote um, patient monitoring or remote physiological mo monitoring, RPM. Um, we, for, for the industry, being able to track patients' um, vitals and making sure that uh, the, the work that patients are doing at home, outside of the office, aligns with the, the care and treatment plan that their provider has in place for them. I'd love to hear your input on how RPM can be innovative because it's already, it's already innovative, but how we can continue to innovate it. Well, this is where the conversation is going to get very, very interesting for the audience. And I, I believe for anybody else that's either watching or listening. What we specialize is is the unknown that exists right now. You you spoke about RPM, which was remote patient monitoring, some of the vitals and some of the, the items that we're capturing. What I see is those are secondary endpoints. And secondary endpoints are based upon three pillars of health. One is exercise and mobility. Two is nutrition and diet. And the third, if you have problems with one and two, is medications. But if you don't know if people are taking medications, then what you get is you get those other RPM data sets, which you spoke about, yeah. but you can't alter those RPM data sets if you don't know definitively what's going in people's mouths. Mm -hmm. And that is exactly what Heido does. We are trying to figure out the blueprint for health by understanding which cocktails and medications elicit the best outcomes based upon health equity standards. So we bring the quality and standardization and education amongst many, many millions of people in different disease states and chronic diseases. So think about cardiovascular disease, dementia, mental health, diabetes. We can level the playing field for 
everyone, no matter their educational backgrounds or no matter the types of communications that occur between provider and patient within that small window of time. And, you know, just thinking about the, the landscape, um, it's important for us to, to make sure as an industry that we're doing our due diligence to keep our populations healthy. Um, and one of the things that as a coder, um, I find uh, an obstacle for providers, um, regardless of the technology that they're using, because we're, you know, we're, we're technology agnostic here at, at RevDot. Um, but as a coder, um, it's important for, for providers to be able to demonstrate the um, complexity of the illness that they're treating, right? Um, as we see what's happening with, with telehealth reimbursement, it's expanding for, for certain areas and like behavioral health, um, but we're, we're also looking at, um, you know, the end of 2024, um, we may not have the same, uh, you know, opportunities to, to, to do evaluation and management services through telehealth and be reimbursed um, at, through the, the CMS 1135 waiver. Um, with, with that being said, telehealth parity is, you know, could be in jeopardy, right? Payment parity could be in jeopardy. And it's important for providers to be able to demonstrate the severity of illness. Um, from your professional um, experience, how do you how do you see providers optimizing that that type of um, documentation and making sure that they're able to to really hone in on severity of illness? Yeah, so severity of illness and understanding and accurately capturing from a billing perspective what that looks like and what that is in order to monetize based upon the, the services that are provided are important because um, you need to get reimbursed for what you're actually doing. And oftentimes people are undercoding because that's not captured correctly. So, you know, you think of that you know, saying garbage in, garbage out. You know, a lot of services are rendered that are never collected for because they just simply weren't documented accordingly. What I think is interesting, and I believe that, you know, this is one of the things that we do with HIDO is that we alter patients' behaviors at home, but we also document dose by dose or behavior by behavior exactly what's going on in the home. So then a provider, whether it be a nurse or a doctor, can understand the level of condition that they're treating and that's all documented. So then when they actually do engage that patient, whether it's through RPM or whether it's in the clinic, then they can, they already have a, an understanding of what they're dealing with and that's already auto-recognized. So then if a biller comes in on the back end, they already have that information in there and they can say, okay, does it need to be a one, two, three, or four or, or what the severity is based upon the patient's information versus going back to the doctor, chasing the nurse, you know, 30, 60, 90 days later and trying to recall what that interaction was, which is not a, a great way to do things. You know, you, you mentioned um, what's going on in the patient's home and that, that draws my mind back to social determinants of health and some of the, you know, the obstacles and challenges that our patients have accessing care. Um, what, what are your thoughts about how we can um, improve uh, in that area? 
Well, I'm going to throw this back at you real fast. <laughs> what would change if we had access to care for all the people that were underserved now? How do you think that would impact healthcare? Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. So first of all, what, what we, what we all know is that the individuals who, um, we're, we're dealing with talking about right now, they usually make up the highest dollar amount of healthcare costs, right? Um, what, what I think could happen is a reduction in healthcare costs. Um, obviously, we also want to make sure that we have a longer lifespan. Um, so individuals who have low health literacy, um, if we're able to educate them, guess what? They, they, they make better choices. Um, I could go on and on about, <laughs> about this. So <laughs> I, 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 I'm going to jump in. I'm going to tell you a quick story. Yeah. So this is um, this is a patient in Sacramento. His name's Anthony. We have him on video so you guys can take a look at hydohealth.com. But Anthony had a stroke. You know, his wife is Helen, you know, his caregiver. And simply, you know, he was trying to follow the best habits that we spoke about earlier, you know, good nutrition, mobility, exercise. But it came down to him manage his medications the way that 90% of people do, which is a plastic container with seven days and it's ripe with airs. So when we're talking about the education level and the types of communication that comes from nurse or doctor to patient, there's a, a certain amount that folks can understand. But once you have a traumatic event happen to you, like a stroke, how much do you think is going to be retained by the patient or their caregiver? So it sets people up for a state within the home that's exceptionally complicated. So if you can smooth that process out, automate it, ease the burden on those patients, then they can finally be stabilized so they can get the type of care that is needed in the first place. But half of all the medications, there's 6 billion prescriptions going out each year, are not taken as intended, causing unnecessary hospitalizations and ER visits. And your coders know how many of these hospitalizations and ER visits because they're tracking readmissions. <laughs> yes. Especially here in the state of Maryland. Um, we have a total cost of care model here. So we have uh, a, a financial incentive to collaborate between health systems, hospitals, and community physicians uh, to prevent readmissions. Um, and you know, just thinking about the, the prevention of readmissions and managing social determinants of health, this also ties us back to the, the most important person in this equation, which is the patient and their satisfaction, their experience in this entire continuum, you know, having, uh, you know, RPM um, devices in their home and, you know, working them. And as you said, dealing with the, you know, a, a pill box, bottle or whatever form they're, they're, they're using. Uh, <laughs> um, patient satisfaction. Um, and, and making sure that our patients feel heard, um, that mm -hmm. we avoid white coat syndrome, um, that we're speaking our, you know, at, at our patient's level, regardless of what that level is, uh, is, you know, a hallmark of adherence to any treatment plan. Uh, because the folks who are not taking those medications, they may not be taking them. Why? Because they just didn't understand. What is BID? I know what BID is, right? But does the patient know that if they're looking at a pill bottle? Um, so, you know, just thinking about 
ensuring, uh, you know, a successful patient experience. Um, I'd love to get your your input on how, as an industry, we can prioritize that and be successful in it. Yeah, I think there's a couple of pillars that need to change and also to alter patient satisfaction. Now, one, which is interesting, is that if patients are following instructions instructions as intended, they'll feel better because they're getting better. If they don't understand that communication breakdown occurs, they're not going to be happy. So I don't think the satisfaction scores are going to report that they're happy when they're not feeling well. So one is we can communicate better. And how we communicate better is not a sheet of 20 pages with complex medication regimens. Right now, we can push information to a patient where they don't need to understand all that information. It's done by a device that automates that process so they don't need to do that, which eases their burden. So that's one. Now, two, another way to you know completely transform the system is making it so easy for patients at home to not just follow the instructions, but also understand what behaviors led them to that point in the first place. And what do they need to change? Because there's also ownership on their side. It's not just providers and clinicians. Patients also have to own their healthy habits to alter what the future can occur. So I think there's a sense of ownership where you have to have that real communication that occurs, look in the mirror moments. And if providers have the information of understanding behaviors and tracking and monitoring, yeah. then those types of conversations can occur. So you ha- there's, a, there's accountability on both sides that need to, to happen in order to really change patient satisfaction. And then ultimately, I think if you have patient satisfaction change you know, completely, if you have those communication channels come together and they're really caring yeah. about each other, then you completely transform the entire system. Oh my gosh, so true. I, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, you know I, that that, I, that that makes me think of a, a, a lot of different ways that um, I, I think as rev divers and and healthcare leaders and even patients, um, we can take ownership of our healthcare. Uh, you know, just thinking about the the innovations that are happening in healthcare and the the amount of information that folks who are either impacted by or manage a revenue cycle there is just a lot of information to track um, when we think about rpm there are the you know the, the cpt and hicks picks codes and potential modifiers um, and making sure that your your um, you're, you're, you're tracking all of the information that's necessary to, to kind of align with the care plan. Um, there's that, um, you know, severity of illness and making sure that, that we are meeting um, medical necessity or, you know, describing medical necessity, our patient satisfaction, um, just kind of thinking about ways that we can support revenue cycle leaders in innovation um, with all of these areas, uh, Taya and I are always looking for ways that we can support them through their um, professional development. Um, we'd love to to be able, from you know your perspective, um, impart some words of wisdom. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that there's fantastic opportunity going in the future, and as we see healthcare evolve, more and more of it is going to be in the home 
and depend upon patients. There's a labor shortage and that's not going away anytime soon. And having that accountability and wherewithal from the patient to be able to carry out the instructions that are often complicated or misunderstood at home will completely alter the future of care. So as you start thinking about how patients are treated and how you adjust, you know, codes accordingly or the modifiers, I, I think it's just really important to, you know, think about the new technologies that will happen in the future and, and how coding will change because of the new technologies within the home, because that is where a lot of the type of resources are going. And that is to the home outside of the sterile walls of the clinic or the hospital. Oh my goodness, Charles. <laughs> wow. Thank you so much. Um, this was a, this was a wonderful conversation. Um, and you are, you are so, so knowledgeable. Um, I, I, I wanted to just kind of also, um, ask you to, you know, if, if there was one thing that you have learned um, in the past uh, year um, related to um, AI and the, the future of AI, the importance of AI, um, I'd love to kind of get your, you know, your reaction in, in the past year and where you mm -hmm. see AI maybe in the next 12 months. Yeah, so where I see AI, and I'm gonna actually focus on the application within medications and the different cocktails of medications. You know, these different types of cocktails of medications have different performance metrics based on age, race, gender, geographic region, all the um, social determinants of health and, and other underlying um, causes of chronic care conditions. I see the, the different uses of AI being able to manipulate the types of medications given to specific folks to elicit the best outcomes possible. Right now, we treat patients with empiric treatment. So that's based upon providers, medical training, and clinical experience. And that works to a certain extent, but there's a lot of unknown variables. One, the provider doesn't know exactly when or if the patients take the medications and they titrate up or titrate down or provide different medications. In the future, not only will we know exactly what patients are taking at home, we'll also know which medications elicit the best outcomes. And we've already seen that now. So we've done a study in Northern California where reduced heart failure um, hospital admissions by 80% and the cost of care by 70% within heart failure patients in the Monterey County. And that's very exciting. That's just a glimpse of what AI can do. Wow. Charles, thanks so much for being with us today. Um, great, great, great conversation. Um, uh, it, it's been an absolute pleasure to meet you. And I know that our paths are going to cross because you are doing some fantastic work in the industry. Um, Rev Divers, um, until we meet again, keep diving into those Rev Cycles. <laughs>